So it's good to be able to talk to you again. And something that I learned a long time ago was that a lot of the um, uh, people in the Old and New Testament, there was something that I admired about them, and that was that they, many of them, knew how to behave themselves when they're under stress. Uh, let me put it another way. They knew how to respond to injustice, or let me say it this way. Instead of defending themselves, they turned the problem over to the Lord without probably saying anything, but in their hearts, I guess. And it was God who looked after them. So I want to talk at this time about behaving like God's child. And of course, the prime example we'd have is Jesus. I, I always like to remind you that the whole scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, twice there he says, we're supposed to learn from the, what we read there of those people. They're examples to us. Paul says the same thing in Romans 15. And so we have those um, instructions to us that say, let's find out how these people lived and how they responded, what was their heart towards God, what did they do to be a success, or what did they do to be a failure and disappoint God. And so that's basically where we want to go tonight. So it, I have to start back in a particular place, and that place is establishing the fact that we are God's children if you've been born again and I believe firmly you need to be water baptized. I can't really get into that tonight. There is a teaching somewhere in the archives on water baptism. But I want to um, establish the fact that God's children. And if we're God's children, then we should look like him and even look like his first son, Jesus. Because siblings and, and our parents, we should resemble them in some way. And so he said in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now those two words are pretty close to being the same thing as far as meaning is concerned, but I'd like to um, separate them a wee bit just for the sake of my argument. I'd like to think of image as being I'm like, I am right here. You see my flesh. That's the image. It's the image that Jesus walked around in. And so it isn't necessarily God's image because he doesn't have a body. He's not physical. Although he does have a lot of the things that we have. Emotions, joy, happiness, dancing. He does all those things. So in a sense, we made, he made us into his image. It's interesting. I can't find any place where he says he made animals in his image, or he made birds or fish or any other living thing. He just spoke and they happened. They spoke and they came to be, but man was different. He actually took a handful of soil and made it into man's body. Then he breathed his life into them and they became a living soul with the breath of God within them. And I believe we still, when we learn to breathe, um, as soon as we come out of the womb, I believe it's the breath of God that gives us life. That's my belief. 
You can believe whatever you want to believe. And so he said, he made us in his image, but also in his likeness. And I think I would like to use the word likeness in the area of character. Are we a good person? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we loving? And so on. And so I'd like to separate those just enough to say this. When Adam fell, he was still in the image of God, but he lost the likeness of God. Sin separated him from the character of God. And so that was the fall of man. Now, let's talk a wee bit about water baptism. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, my understanding of, from Romans 6, that when I have made a decision to stop living my old life and start living for the Lord, I literally make a choice. It's a physical choice, but it's not physically happening necessarily, but it's a, a choice I make in my soul by the Spirit. I'm going to die to my old way of life and I'm going to live for Christ from now on. And you say, I go into water and I'm being buried. That old way of life is buried. I'm finished with it. And up out of the water comes something else, a new me. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Now, it's, it's not a seed like what an earthly father would put into an earthly lady to make an earthly child. It's a difference. It's the word of God. Jesus was born by the word of God. The seed put into Mary was the word of God he put in there. It says in John 1, Jesus was the word and he is the word. You understand? So the, the seed that Jesus was born on, when I come up out of that water, the old heart is dead. So therefore, a new Howard has to have life inserted into him, and God puts that seed. The Holy Spirit puts that seed in me, and I become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have been buried, passed away. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what Peter first, first Peter 1.23 is saying, as far as I know. Now, just in case you're questioning whether I'm saying or not, let me look at John. I say that because I was never taught that in church. Maybe you were, but I never was. So it came as revelation to me one day when I'm reading 1 Peter. The Lord instructed me, read that chapter again. I did. Read it again. I did. And I said, what's going on? Read it a third time. I did. And that's when the Lord hit me. And I realized a revelation. I have been actually born of God. I am now his son. I am his child. So therefore, John 1, the book of John, chapter 12 and 13, you all know chapter 12, or pardon me, verse 12, if you've been to an evangelism seminar, he says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now verse 13 takes that and, and nails it down. Listen to it. Children born not of natural descent, 
nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So I'm basing this whole teaching on the fact that I am God's child. I am Jesus' brother. He is the elder brother. He is the firstborn in this family. And you see, both the father and his son Jesus, they're family people. They want family. And so he caused me to be born in my mother's womb, first of all, and then born again when I went into the repentance and water baptism so I could become his child. My body still belongs to my, my mom and my dad, but my soul now belongs to Jesus, the Father, pardon me, Jesus being my elder brother. I should look like them, but guess what? I don't always. You can check with my family and say, no, he doesn't always look like Jesus. And that's because I want God to change me. And so the verses that we hang on to are verses says that he is recreating me into the like of Jesus. So it's a process that he's working on to get me there. That's why so many of you who may be atheists, unbelievers, whatever, say, oh, I knew a Christian, he was really a mess. Or I knew somebody and he cheated on his income tax. And I know another guy that said he was a Christian and went to a good church apparently, but he was cheating on his way. Listen, those are people who have made a decision. They want to go to heaven. They would they what they believe in been born again and water baptized, but they have no intention of changing into the likeness of Jesus. They made wrong decisions. You might say, well, what's going to happen to them in the judgment day? I'm glad I'm not the one to make that decision. Because I, one, am not a believer in the fact that if you get saved, that's it. You're always saved. I don't believe that. There's too many Hebrews talks about if you've one time tasted of the word of the Spirit and then turn away, there's no, you know, you despise the cross. People say, you mean if I turn away, I can never come back? That's not what it's saying. It's saying if I despise what Jesus did on the cross and never change my mind, there's no redemption for me. All right, so I've nailed it down that I'm a child of God. And you, if you believe, if you've accepted that, are a child of God. And so Jesus being my elder brother, and because I should kind of resemble him in some way, it was common, like I had an older and a younger brother, still have a younger brother, but it was common for me to be somewhere. I remember a church camp one year, I was by with some other guys, and one of the older people there that knew my, my younger brother said to me, you must be Albert's brother. And I said, yeah, how'd you know that? Well, he says, you resemble him. So that's the way it should be with me and Jesus. They should look at me and say, oh, you must be a Christian. Why would you say that, sir? Well, because you look like Jesus. That's what I want to hear. That's what you should want to be here. We need to behave ourselves so we look like him. And that's the main thrust of what I want to talk about. We are the ones that make the decision. Do I look like Jesus or don't I look like Jesus? I'm going to tell you later on that the Holy Spirit gets involved if we make the right decision. But we make the decision. You see, Jesus looked like his father. Um, in John 14, Philip 
wanted to know when are we going to see the Father? Show us God. Even though it's very clear in the Old Testament, if anybody looks at God, he won't live because I guess the brightness just is, is beyond what a human being can handle. You'd have to sort that out for yourself. But Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, and then he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? She's just simply saying, Look at, look at me, he's saying. That's God. And I would like very much to know that when I end my life here, there will be people that say, when I saw Howard, it was looking at the face of God. I hope I can come to that place. I will never declare at this moment that I am. I want God to change me into his likeness so much that people will know they have been in the presence of the Lord when they are near me. You see I'm Jesus' younger brother. We have the same father as Jesus did. Of course, we should look like him. Well, how do we obtain that? Let me look at, at um, John 15. I'm going to read just verses 1 and 4 because this is about the vine. And, I, and I'm going to run out of time if I read the whole thing. But Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. There's a teaching out there that says that, that the Jewish people are the vine and we're supposed to be grafted in. That is totally wrong. Jesus said he is the vine. The Jews were in the vine. They were cut out. They can be grafted back in. I know they're not going to be totally excluded. They can be drafted. We are as evangelicals or Gentiles, we can be thrown out if we sin. We can be grafted back in again. In verse 4, he says, Remain in me, and I will be re remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can, can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I'm belaboring that for this simple reason. If I want to be like Jesus... I should be walking with him, listening to him, doing what he tells me to do. And because he's got more experience than I have, he's almost 2,000 years older than I am if you want to keep him here on earth for a little while. And we need to realize we can learn from him. And he says, if you abide in me, if you stay in me, then you will be like me. What an awesome promise. In John 14, he says, I'm going to read verses 21, 23, and 24. Whoever has my commandments, he is the one who loves me. He is the one who, he will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now this, I'm, I'm reading this, and I want you to understand, here's one of the main ways we stay in the vine. Okay, listen to it. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And verse 24 says, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And so my understanding of this passage of scripture if i want to stay in the vine the key is being obedient to jesus being obedient to the father and the holy spirit i, cl I clump those three into one called lord as we're obedient to the lord god the father and jesus says they might turn and talk to each other and one of them might say i know that howard loves me 
And as a result of me knowing that, it's because he obeys me. That's what that passage is saying. God isn't interested in your bumper stickers, your t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, or anything, or the cross around your neck. He's not interested in those. He is interested in obedience. And when he sees your obedience to him, according to the New Testament, not the Old Testament, we learn from that, but Moses said we're under Jesus now from Deuteronomy 18. We obey him. Moses said obey him, and so we obey Jesus of the New Testament. And so out of this whole thing, I prove, I can prove to the Father that I love him by being obedient to him. And in verse 23, he says, they'll actually come and make a home in us. That's why the Bible says we're the temple now. In the Old Testament, they had a physical building out there. First of all, a tent, then a big building that Solomon built. And then after it was destroyed, Herod built one that's much smaller, but now he wants to dwell in this temple. And so if he's in here, and Jesus, my elder brother, to set me an example, I should be able to, with ease, without too much trouble, be like him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said very clearly, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We don't need to depend. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to have change that we want. We need to be making the right decisions. My wife and I try in the morning. I think we almost accomplish every morning in some way pray, Lord, today we want to put you first. You're our first love. No other, no other God, no other physical or emotional thing should be our God today. What you're doing, you're, you're keeping yourself lined up. I took a navigation course years ago because of the sailboat, and we had to learn that if you're out in the ocean where you can't see land, the currents and the wind can knock your bearing off. You have to keep correcting it every once in a while, and that's what we're doing. Lord, today, I want you to be first in my life. I'm correcting just in case I need to be in line. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit hears that, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll look after that for you, Howard. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's there to keep me in line with the Father. You see, our obedience allows God to do in us his work. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What a promise. What a glorious promise. Now let's talk some examples. These are men of old. Some won, some lost. Moses, he didn't behave himself. Uh, he stepped out of his calling by not waiting as a son should wait for his father. Now just follow me quickly on this. I want to, you see, this is what it cost Israel, his disobedience. When he was still an Egyptian-type soldier, you know, daughter of Pharaoh's daughter, or son of Pharaoh's daughter. He saw an Israeli being treated harshly, so he killed the Egyptian that was treated him harshly. And his thinking was, I believe God wants me to set Israel free. And so he did it on his own. But he was ahead of the game. And you see, God had originally told Abraham back in Genesis 15, the Jews will be in 
Egypt for 400 years. But then in Exodus 12, after Moses had blown it, then went out in the wilderness for 40 years, and now God brings them back, it says that they didn't come out for 430 years. God said 400, but now he's saying 430. It's because at the year 390, Moses had tried to do it on his own. But what he should have done is wait for those 10 years until the year 400 had come, and then God would say to Moses, now I'll lead you, because I said 400, don't try to do it sooner, you see. So we, we need to learn from Moses. I'm not condemning him. I probably would have done a worse job. I'm not condemning. But you see, he had to sit in the backside of the desert for 40 years. It took ten, all those 40 years to change Moses into what he God wanted. And he said, probably to himself back there at the year 390, he said, I can do this. I've been trained by Pharaoh's best. I can do it. God said, don't think so, Moses. Sit in the wilderness for 40 years. I have to do it. For 30 years, the children of Israel were under a slavery. They weren't supposed to be, but they're under slavery because somebody didn't obey the Lord. Now, David behaved himself when Saul was trying to kill him. We know this story. Um, David said in Psalm 27, for there's only one thing I want. So David's heart was to serve the Lord. Put him first and be like him. And you see, when Saul was trying to kill David, David then had twice had a chance to kill Saul. I hope you know the story. It's back there in, in um, Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel. You need to understand, he had a chance to kill Saul twice. And both times he said, no, no, I will not touch God's anointing. You see, he could have pushed this situation, kill Saul, got his kingdom sooner. David could have been crowned king. He had enough support to do that. And he could have aborted everything that was going on, but he didn't. He said, no, I will not. It's not God's timing. I'll stay living as, a, as, a, as somebody running from death, as Paul was chasing him almost constantly. Some people think he's about 15, 20 years. David was being chased by Saul. But you see, David only had one thing in his mind from Psalm 27, 4. There's only one thing I want. I don't want the kingdom, number one. I don't want my wives and family back because a lot of that time he wasn't with them because he was hiding in the rocks and stuff in the holes. He said, there's one thing I want. And so therefore, Saul wasn't an issue with him as long as he had the presence of the Lord. We, he had to know how to behave himself. And then, and then David also knew how to behave himself when Absalom um, was trying to kill him. You have to go and read that on your own. But Absalom decided to take over the throne and he blew it, totally blew it, you see. Now in Psalm 37, it says that, that God wants to give us the desires of our heart. But you see, if I say to the Lord, I want your will, Lord. I want you. Because it says in the line before that, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he'll give us the desires of our heart. I've heard that second half of that verse quoted so often. God wants to give us the desires of our heart. I think I'll have the Mercedes Benz in that 10-bedroom mansion. Oh, God wants to give me the I'll take them. No. You have to delight yourself in the Lord first. 
You have to say, Lord, I want to be blessed by what you want to bless me with. I want to please you in everything. I don't want to live for myself because when I went into water baptism, I died to what I want. I now live for what Jesus wants because the old Howard is dead and buried. The new Howard wants what Jesus wants because he is like his older brother Jesus who said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. You understand? We're totally His. If you're not, don't expect the miracles that you need in your life. Daniel knew how to behave himself. It, it could have cost him his life. He knew he was headed to the lion's den to be eaten. He knew that. But he stood his ground and did what he knew the Lord called him to do. Now Peter, on the other hand, the New Testament, didn't behave himself. Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times a day. And he said, no, 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 I won't. I'll go to hell. I'll go to death for you. I'll be crucified. And later on, Peter was asked three times if he was part of Jesus' group. And three times he said, no, no. And one of the gospels said he actually called down curses on himself. He didn't behave himself. He repented of it deeply. He went out and repented deeply. God forgave him, of course. Jesus forgave him. Jesus never brought it up. Just asked him three times if he loved him. Did he undo the curses that Peter had brought on himself? Now the big one is Jesus. At, the, at, at Jesus' trial, they didn't, the crowds didn't behave themselves. They listened to the Pharisees. I think the Pharisees were saying things like, listen, if he's the Messiah, how come he hasn't defeated the Romans? If, how come you Jews aren't free? He's, a, he's a, a, a false prophet. So you need to do something. And the crowds are listening to the Pharisees. The crowds are listening to, to those that hated Jesus because they're taking away their people from him. And so the crowd didn't behave themselves. They changed the tunes. People that had been healed, delivered, and, and, and at one time believed now turned and said, well, he didn't deliver us from the Romans. Therefore, he's not the Messiah. So crucify him. You understand? They missed something. The very thing that John the Baptist taught first and Jesus taught first. You have to repent. The Old Testament prophets said, if you want to get out from under the bondage of your enemies where you've been exiled, you have to repent of your sins and your forefathers so God can bring out the New Testament. They wanted deliverance, but they didn't want to change their lifestyle. They wanted to continue on. They didn't want to repent. If there's anybody else that behaved himself, it was Jesus while he was on trial. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Jesus said, Hebrews 6, we're to imitate, don't be lazy, but imitate through faith and patience and inherit those things that were promised. It says, after waiting patiently here, Abraham received what was promised. It says in Titus to the grace of God that brings salvation. Listen, grace is too sloppy with many people teaching. The grace of God brings salvation is here to all men. This is what grace does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. 
And Jesus said one time, you are my workmanship in Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3, we who are on veiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, did you hear that? Into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord with the Spirit. Father, help us get a hold of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.